this week, Claudine Gay resigned her position as president of Harvard. She is the first black woman to head Harvard, but she's also just the first black person in almost 400 years. So it's a really big deal. And there's a few things that I think are worth discussing related to this. There are so many facets to this story. And I think a lot of people just looking at it from the outside are saying, I don't care who Claudine Gay is. I don't care what she did. I don't care about this at all. But that's too easy of a response to this story. And yet again, I have to mention Christopher Rufo because he really led the charge on this. The worst actors in the world who, at least in, in, in Rufo's case, are pretty plain spoken about the fact that they are propagandists and bullshit artists. And acting in bad faith. Yeah. Acting in bad faith. He's very transparent about that. He was really the person who ran with this and pledged that he was going to get media on board and managed to do that. And he said he was going to get center left media to pay attention to this story. The story being, of course, these sort of trumped up charges of plagiarism that he announced. And they succeeded in having the New York Times cover it every day for like two weeks. But they can only succeed in doing that if the New York Times is allows them to do that. The New York Times is not is New York Times is not a feeble child in the woods. So, yeah, I mean, yeah. it's a story about media complicity. It's a story, I think, about white resentment. It's a story about the ongoing white backlash. It's a story about bad faith, bad faith actors on the right and con artists and the way that like the media bends to them. It's a story yeah. about the way that DEI has been turned into this absurd kind of form of reverse racism. Well, it's a story about also... anti-blackness. <laughs> Yeah. Well, it's yeah. also a story about how colleges and universities have been reconfigured completely to be about money and that every college president's job primarily is money. And even though Harvard University has $50 billion. Largest in endowment debt, in the country. In the world. Actually, yeah, it, actually, you're right. The world. It, yeah. Yeah. Like they've got more money than some countries have in GDP. A lot of countries. So they don't need the money. <laughs> they don't need to be hustling and busting their ass, sucking up to rich people, but they do. And like, they don't need to charge students tuition, but they do. And so like, it, it was, so I mean, Gay, she was, of course, to just go back, was also one of the of four presidents of major universities that were brought to testify about their students to the Republican House. And like, that's what set this all off was them trying to say that they don't care about uh, anti-Semitism anti on campus. On campus. Yeah. And what, yeah. And one little thing that got missed in that. So basically a lot of it got started. It was Elise Stefanik, the, the New York Republican was trying to force them to answer these ridiculously loaded questions in a yes or no fashion only. And it was centered around would Ha calling for a Holocaust be a violation of your student's code. And one of the things that people missed in that is she also asked them about genocide of black people. Yeah. And they said the same thing, actually, particularly Claudine Gage said the exact same thing, which is it depends on, on how it's done. And 
people keep missing that as the right wing. They want you to think that Claudine Gay is just some reverse racist who only cares about black people. And yet in that very hearing, she said, I don't think I could punish some people for calling for killing black people. So like that, that old saying, the issue is never the issue. This, I think that really is sort of the, the skeleton key to figuring out why the fuck we're even talking about this, because nobody had heard of Claudine Gay before that hearing, except for people directly involved with Harvard. I, mean, I had, but yeah. Okay, well, <laughs> yeah, but you get my point, though. That most people, people don't care who is the president of whatever right. university. It, it doesn't affect them in any way. And so that's not what the point of this was. The point of this was that they wanted to get scalps and they had succeeded at forcing the resignation of what, what was it? Two of the, the college presidents and they were. Yeah. The president of UPenn stepped down almost immediately. The president of mm -hmm. MIT is still in place. Yeah. The context for the story goes back to the 1950s and William F. Buckley Jr., who basically was the Christopher Rufo of his day and was the guy who kind of got all this right-wing bullshittery started. I love that word, by the way, bullshittery. That's a fun word, if it's a word. And he, he, he published a book called God and Man at Yale. And that book basically got started this, this whole whining, constant, nonstop whining about how the right wing is being censored on campus and how people are mean to them and basically how they need affirmative action. I mean, it's he wasn't that. I, I don't since. want to give him too much credit. I mean, the again, this idea that basically white traditionalists are somehow being pushed out by progress that's putting black folks at the top of the racial hierarchy and not allowing white folks to have the authority that they deserve. It was not a new idea. I mean, it's literally why reconstruction ended. So, right. Yeah. No, Buckley yeah. and Buckley. Yeah. He, he put a suit and tie and he played the harpsichord. And so yes. people, <laughs> yeah. people in the mainstream press were like, Ooh, look at this. He's smart. And, and Buckley, <laughs> He had this ridiculous affectation of he would read the dictionary or thesaurus for words and then like use them. And which and, isn't and, inherently and he, bad in and of itself. I mean, Malcolm X read the dictionary. It's just, yeah, except you know, for when it, an awful in his person case, does something that could be irritating, it makes it all the more irritating. Yeah, yeah. Well, no, and, and like, but his, his usage of them would be just completely random. So, like, he he would come out with some sesquipedalian word, one, <laughs> yeah, one column, and then you'd never see it again because he hadn't actually internalized it or learned anything from it. But like people, a lot of casual observers would look at that and they would be like, "Ooh, he must He's be brilliant. smart." Yeah, and, and and that ultimately is this tension, though, and it, and it's entirely lamentably buried in all of this media coverage because they want affirmative action for themselves right? Uh, while also demanding that nobody else have it and while claiming that they believe in meritocracy quote unquote right. <laughs> while also claiming that it's we're returning to a kind of colorblind meritocracy that used to exist i think that every white backlash and every iteration 
makes these ahistorical claims to justify itself, right? So we apparently mm. had this period where everything was based on merit and mm-hmm. what you've done in your resume. And that's just, where there wasn't you know, that's one, never been true. Yeah, where there wasn't one qualified woman. Yeah, I mean, and also this idea that for 400 years, you're telling me that for 400, but I mean, that is part of, so the fact that they're able to sell that story, that for 400 years, Harvard existed, and there has not been a single black person who was qualified to run that school, and and certainly not a black woman who was qualified to run that school. And even now, after 400 years, the one that they, one black woman that they found is also somehow not competent enough to run the school. I mean, that is the reason why they're able to sell that story to quote unquote liberal media, which isn't actually liberal or leftist in any way, is because that is that's a very American idea that blackness is inherently disqualifying, that it, it, it is a sign of incompetence, right? It's just as a, it is a marker of incompetence. And that's why the story sells. I know a lot of people have pointed this out since this story broke, or particularly people on the left who are sort of pissed about what happened, have mentioned that Gorsuch was credibly accused of yeah, plagiarism, yeah. right? And that that's yeah. and that, but but that's not something that we think. I, I don't think that Vivek Ramaswamy, who has run on this idea of we got to get back to this colorblind meritocracy, or Christopher Rufo, or any of those folks, are interested in trying to get Gorsuch removed because that that well, one that's not a sellable story because that idea doesn't exist. That inherently sort of white men can be doubted if they it's just like he just borrowed some language i think i actually saw that someone pointed out that that was the language used in one of the stories that he borrowed some language where that was me that was that you okay that was me that sent that to you i wrote my own i sent my tweet to you (laughs) (laughs) Um, i know i mentioned this last week because we did talk about it a a little bit but i the white backlash in Every generation and every iteration is fueled by white grievance, white resentment over black success. I think that there's this misguided idea we have that white folks are disturbed by black. And this is not an idea that I have, obviously, but this notion that black people are incapable of succeeding. But I think the thing that most inflames white racists is black success. And I and because it is full integration. Like they might be okay with going to the same fast food restaurant or sitting next to them. It's not not just integration. It's the fear of status loss. I mean, there are. Well, that's what I mean. There are white people who who believe it. Like the one thing that the amulet that they, the magic talisman that they have is whiteness. No matter how far they fall, whiteness keeps them a rung above black folks. And I think for someone Mm -hmm. like, and I, I do think it matters that you know, Christopher Rufo is someone who has been lying about going to Harvard. I know he went to Harvard Extension School. Again, it's a place where you can't even transfer your credits to Harvard. Harvard won't take them. And yet he is he knows that. He's left that off his resume. I do think that it burns him up to see a black woman leading this university. And I and, and I think that that's it's typical of the kind of white grievance that drives always drives the white backlash. Things are moving yeah. too fast. White people are being displaced. There is this kind of unfair thing happening where what black people are stealing. And again, black success, there's this idea that black success is always based on some kind of theft from whiteness. And mm-hmm. that's what they did to Claudine Gay. And which we were just talking and by about. By the way, 
Oh, no, I'm going to say, just can I interject it here Absolutely. to say that, like, it also, it, it also affects Black people, I think, also, because I've heard, I have heard from a number of Black friends about what is called commonly imposter syndrome. Like, mm -hmm. that's actually racism affecting you as a Black person. And that is, um, to mention, I just want to also mention that that is a concept that came out of my alma mater, Oberlin. And it gets misused all the time, but imposter syndrome was literally created initially to describe the kind of feelings that black folks felt as a result of the underestimation that they constantly received in certain white spaces. And now people use it, just anyone's not feeling great about something they did today. They had a bad coffee order, order. but it was actually like there was a, it had a yeah. serious point to it. Yeah. But you and I were just kind of talking about this and you found it kind of interesting that I said this, but... The one I don't, obviously, I'm not happy that Claudine Gay has been removed. It, it's, it didn't, I just, it, I, I, the other day I was so upset, like that I, I was really emotional about it. Not because it was just about this woman being removed from her role, but also because it related to this, this, the issue you know, is this not the relentless, issue. Yeah. yeah, the relentless backlash that I've been tracking all this time. And just, also, the way that I think this country as a whole constantly underestimates Black folks, the way that it, when Black, fo black folks are constantly told that they are lazy and they're not successful because they are, they get in their own way. It's their pathologies of Black culture. And yet when Black folks are successful, there is always a, I feel like, a movement to remove them, to discredit them, to say that they're affirmative action hires. And, and maybe they were, but affirmative action doesn't mean what I, what most, what, white people who use that term in a negative way think it means. But it doesn't mean thing, you're not qualified necessarily. Right. The whole yeah. idea is that you are qualified. It's just and that in fact, doors you are, have been yeah. traditionally been closed to you regardless of qualification. But yeah. the one sort of upside I think about this is as someone who's been writing about Christopher Rufo for roughly two years, no, maybe a little more at this point, to see one well, his, his to see <laughs> one his <laughs> <laughs> it, uh, <laughs> that was a good one. Uh, I, I'm not sure that when you mentioned before that like most people don't care about who leads Harvard. I think that's traditionally true. But now that I think a lot of black folks are aware that the president of Harvard was a black woman and she's now being she's essentially been that. removed by this white mob or what's a, the modern day sort of parallel to a white mob, I think. Mm -hmm. I think there's a lot of black folks that are really enraged. I mean, really angry and from all, from every strata, right? So you, I think you have like black grandmothers who see their granddaughter and are furious because once again, they, they came for this black woman who was just doing her best. There's black women who I've seen a lot on social media who move in, who are in corporate spaces, who are relating to that experience of constantly being undermined. I think it's something that resonates with a lot of people and it touches a very painful spot. So I, one, I think that it makes me happy that Christopher Rufo as kind of this horrible actor whose entire has dedicated his career to really honestly white supremacy and ensuring that we roll back black civil rights i mean that's what he does and i i i, well, I think and don't I have forget to... anti lgbt and anti non christian as well got to don't forget that <laughs> yeah i don't know that he's as um, i don't think he's someone is immersed in christianity is not his bag so much 
but certainly anti-LGBTQ stuff. I mean, he his thing is he's into Western cultural values. I mean, this is a or guy who is think, currently what he thinks are yeah. what, what he thinks they are. Right. <laughs> I mean, this is a guy who currently has instituted an affirmative action program for men at a Florida university. I, I just, now that I think his name is getting much more recognition and it's not just people who are in kind of these like rarefied media spaces talking about mm-hmm. him and what he does and how openly he does it. I, I just think having that name recognition will be really good. And I also think having this complicit media be called out, I'm not saying that the New York Times is going to change what it does because it does what it does. And you can maybe after uh, I finish talking, you can you can mention that the piece that you sent me that I thought you did, did a really good job of kind of explaining that. But I do think it's embarrassing for places like the Washington Post and the New York Times and to, to right now be put in the spotlight because this isn't just about falling for bad actors on the right. These are, this is, Christopher Rufo in particular is a bad actor who is so open about the fact that he is a bad actor. A bad actor. And, and, and just the fact that they seize on every single story and run with it is, I, I hope that they are embarrassed by it. I do think it will have some impact, at least where he's concerned. And if and that works for me just because he has been so successful in the last two years at turning so many mm-hmm. things, to quote him, toxic. I just yeah. want to see some stimming of the bleeding from this fucking dude. Yeah. Well, he's, and and like, I, 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 I want to go back to the history. Like, he's kind of like, you know, he, his predecessor in this was James O'Keefe. Exactly. Um, and yeah. And, 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 and again, that piece, and that this is the, the piece that you sent me today, specifically mentioned that, that 15 years ago, James, James O'Keefe was, I mean, there's, a, there's an endless sort of conveyor belt of these right-wing black actors, black mm-hmm. bad actors. But yeah, James yeah. O'Keefe was the one 15 years ago. And not that there haven't been any in the meantime, but yeah, the New York Times mm-hmm. readily gobbles yeah. up the bullshit that they put out. Yeah, and, and and that's why I mentioned Buckley because it all he was like the first one of those the the original enfant terrible. So Buckley though he got this hall started of being a, a deliberately bad faith actor, but somebody who had was able to do it well, and that that was enough. And Jameson Fozer came out with a piece on his Substack um, talking about how that it's it's not correct to think that the mainstream media is falling for these people because they're not. They actually want to do this. And you can see that. I mean, the New York Times has published over 60 articles on Claudine Gay since the hearing that she was in with Elise Stefanik. Like, this woman is not worth 60 articles, sorry to say. And and, and this this is, I'm not going to defend what she did because she clearly should have cited these people. She should have cited these things better i think that and she has said that herself but at the same time the reality is every academic has issues like this and that's a huge reason why most of them didn't say anything and again we saw that with the with the neil gorsuch stuff so the question becomes she did some things that are worthy of a few articles but ultimately not worth the, you know, wall to wall week upon end coverage that she received. And so, but the the reason that 
I'm sorry. I, I know that I'm interrupting blatantly, but just Christopher oh, Rufo does not give that now, is so. not the fucking <laughs> sentient fucking MLA handbook. Like he does not give that much of a shit about how people's sources are organized. Like it's just in the same way that he doesn't give a shit about anti-Semitism. Like just none of it's yeah. real. Anyway, sorry for the outburst. <laughs> no, that's right. Well, so yeah, so it it deserved coverage, but not a lot. But like, he didn't trick the New York Times into mm -hmm. obsessing of this. He didn't trick the Atlantic. He didn't trick the Washington Post. They did this, and and this and Jameson makes that point is that they did this because they wanted to. Yeah, they like. I, there's a lot of people who are progressive, and a lot of Democrats. I've seen this personally that they have this idea. They believe in the liberal media. They believe yeah. that it's real. And, and they have been gaslit by the right wing in this regard. But the reality is the New York Times is filled with conservative editors, Barry Weiss being one of them, and James Bennett, the former op-ed editor who editor, designed. Yeah. Like, they're filled with conservatives. And and the same thing is true with the Washington Post. Like, the and these people are desperate. They're fucking desperate to find any articulate right winger and give them the fast track to success. Richard like, Hanania. Yeah, exactly. And like, I mean, they, I it's personally... not just their editorial. I mean, it's their editorial pages, but it's they invite in literal anyone else would recognize them as literal Nazis. Yeah. And and like and, but but what they're looking for is somebody who can say a right wing viewpoint in a decorous manner. And, yes. and like I personally and, and here I'm going to drop another personal anecdote here is that like when I was sort of transitioning away from the right. Uh, I used to write all these pieces about how, oh my gosh, the Republican Party is so dumb. They become so an uh, anti-intellectual. They become so religiously and racially bigoted, et cetera, et cetera. And what they should do better, or that was basically the crux of my articles. And eventually I realized they don't give a fuck what I'm saying, but they're not going to listen. But during that process, I actually was reached out to by people who were editors at the Atlantic and people who were editors at the Washington Post. And they were like, oh, this is really good. You should publish an article on this for us. And then once I switched over completely to the left, those invitations stopped because I wasn't, I wasn't trying to clean up the right wing anymore because I realized it was impossible. But like, that's what these people do. And so like, when Rufo and and O'Keefe and all these other people go out there and put the lipstick on the pig, that's that's all they need. And like and, and Buckley, that's also the case with him. Like his book, God and Man at Yale, it was filled with plagiarism from white nationalists that he just lifted wholesale their 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 work. And like so people who are progressive need to stop believing that the media is liberal and it's going to help you. And it's mm -hmm. like, there's just so much frustration. Like people are always being like, oh, the media won't, they won't say this, they won't do that. And it's like, because they're not liberal. Yeah. <laughs> so do something about that. Don't just whine at them. Like that's, that is the one thing, the right constantly whines and bitches about everything. But the one thing they realized was the media, they're not reactionary. But they're just kind of this milk toast conservative moderate uh, bullshit, yeah. and so that wasn't enough for them. So they went and started their own stuff, and and now it's gotten to the point now where and they poured so much money into it, and their inflammatory bullshit is just like catnip for the algorithms 
that the right wing media is it dwarfs any sort of progressive media mm-hmm. and it but it's because they made it and they they were willing to carry the message and people on the left we got to wake up and support people making left wing content and and all that good stuff so and of course i'm i'm biased in that regard because i make left wing content yeah. but you know support <laughs> other people so that's just me <laughs> that's right so yeah anyway it's a good piece we'll make sure to link to it in the in the show notes people can get that context all right well so now that we have thoroughly beat the the Claudine Gay story to death do you know why 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 we both have arms that are so muscular no why from beating dead horses (laughs) um yeah, so I now we got to go into our quick hits segment. Ah, um, delighted myself with that one. <laughs> um, yeah, so I think the big thing everybody is talking about uh, right now is the the release of the Jeffrey Epstein, or at least some of the testimony in uh, one of the lawsuits that was against him. <sighs> um, and thus far, it uh, that's 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 Callie yawning for everybody. <laughs> Uh, <laughs> and yeah, it hasn't really has, uh, turned out to be too much that we didn't know already. Um, like, you're shitting me? Bill Clinton was on the flight? Dershowitz? No, wait, Donald Trump? Like, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yep. Um, yeah, and well, none of them were new allegations. And then the other things that were, they were just hearsay. I heard Epstein tell me this about so-and-so. And like, that there's a reason that that these things, the depositions are not normally put into the public record like that because th- those statements are not admissible in court. And so whatever people said, it hasn't really meant anything. I mean, Will and the, the Dershowitz sex allegations, they were in there as well. But Another again, plagiarist. Just <laughs> to toss that right. in there. Yep. Yep. And, and, and by the way, but I, I guess the, the only thing I would m- mention to this is that the, the right wing is somehow of course, convinced that Jeffrey Epstein was somehow Pizzagate, blah, 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 argle, argle, bargle. And none of it makes sense. But of course, the the thing is that the guy who who made sure that he was not put in prison earlier, well, he was a Republican. And he was Alex Acosta, Donald Trump's future secretary of labor. And then Jeffrey Epstein shared the same lawyer, Alan Dershowitz, with Trump's and guess who worked with Alex Acosta to get that deal to not be prosecuted? Well, it was Alan Dershowitz. So I just want to put that little bug in everybody's ear to keep that in mind when your nut job relatives start telling you about Jeffrey Epstein and and Hunter Biden and whatever the fuck <laughs> they're going on about. But in better news, one of the the unfortunately less known things that Joe Biden did for people was that he put a price cap on insulin. And for people who are diabetic, that was a huge thing because these companies were charging hundreds and hundreds of dollars for some medicine that cost them like five bucks to make. And he put a price cap on Medicare and Medicaid that said, we're not going to pay more than 35 bucks for a box. And now the companies had to, to adjust to that. And now the other companies that weren't suppliers are now saying, well, all right, I guess we're going to do this with the private sector as well because they can make more money and sell more. So yeah, it's it's a nice thing to see people being able to afford medicine to save their lives. I, I saw some tele, a televised news program about 
this story in which the anchor seemed to suggest that this was just something that the insurance companies are doing as if the insurance companies have ever done anything out of the good of their hearts. And it was, <laughs> you know, if they weren't yeah. being compelled to do it and had to comply. But yeah, that's at least it's there's nice news sometimes. Yeah. And another nice news item is that 22 states have minimum wage increases that are going into effect in this year. And so we everybody from Alaska to Washington. And it should, of course, be pointed out that basically all of these minimum wage increases were opposed by the local Republicans for the most part. And like whenever Republicans, they really, they, they trick so many people and like they just lie and people fall for it because they don't know anything. And so like they've, the biggest lie, most successful lie is that they're populist. And yet every time they have a chance to help the people or help just the regular person, they don't do it. And in fact, like in Missouri, they went, they tried to lower the minimum wage after St. Louis passed a, a higher minimum wage. The Republicans in the state house there were like, nope, can't do it. We're going to invalidate that law. And they did. They lowered the minimum wage. That's actually what the so-called populist Republicans are doing. So don't, don't fall for that. So apparently Michigan Republicans, oh, wait, hang on, hang on. That was weird. Did you what do is? something on your audio? I mean, I just tapped to make a, I just used my keyboard. Oh, okay. No, something weird happened in my audio. Like it sounded, you sounded completely different for a oh, second. Oh, weird. I must and have then, been using my real voice. Back to regular. <laughs> you, were, so, you were using your Bene Gesserit voice on me. I told you not to do that, Callie. <laughs> so it turns out that Christina Caramo, who is currently the chair of the Michigan Republican Party, has not been great for the GOP in that state. There's a lot of infighting and... Um, Fancy that. Yeah. But, but it's incredible that if you bring in someone who is opposed to the very idea of government and who has no sense of what they're doing at all. And you bring them in and expect for them to run things the way that the person before them did, that they are going to flail. I mean, there's questions about impropriety with finances. Um, you know, she's just doing, a, there's actually, and I, I, I'm sure that most of you have not that they need a promotion because I think it might be the most popular podcast in the world, but This American Life did a pretty deep dive on this that is also fairly entertaining a week or so ago. And if you mm -hmm. want the dirty details and interviews of people that are involved and to hear kind of the infighting that's happening, it, it really is kind of delicious. But if you want to listen for an hour, I would advise you to check out that episode. But it's yeah. turned and into it a real shit show. Like they're not, yeah. things are not looking good for them on any front. I mean, apparently this is, I didn't realize the number of states where this is sort of happening, where they have put these folks in power who they're trying to get to some kind of grassroots and these election denying kooks that they've put in. And it's, yeah, obviously it's been disastrous for those the GOP, local yeah. GOP parties. Yeah, incredibly, people who think they talk to God on a 24 seven basis are not very good at running things. Yeah. I, who knew? Who, who, who could have predicted that? that? 
Yeah, like I I would have thought getting the download from the big guy would would make it yeah would, <laughs> would give you the leg up. But, um, yeah, and so congratulations to them. <laughs> speaking of people being oblivious, so apparently right wingers are, especially Elon Musk, are pissed off that Green Day. So Green Day performed recently, and they replay they performed American Idiot, and they replaced the line. Um, I'm not part of the redneck agenda with I'm not part of the MAGA agenda. And they are up in arms about this. And I just, I gotta say, every single time this happens, I just find it hilarious. Because <laughs> where the fuck do these people live that they are? Un- I mean, I remember, this won't be the first time that we've talked about this, when they no. were outraged about Bruce Sp- Springsteen, when Springsteen went on tour years back and they were so many right-wingers were irate about these kind of between-song banter that was full of... I mean, he's a bleeding-heart liberal, so he was saying bleeding-heart liberal stuff. And um, I think he was been. playing... And, and and that is the person that he has always been. They were... I yeah. saw Lara Trump talking about the Green Day story. And he was singing the song American Idiot, uh, couldn't help himself, had to get woke, had to get anti-Trump. He changed the lyrics from... I'm not a part of the redneck agenda to I'm not part of the MAGA agenda. Um, this is right. not punk rock. This guy, These people are so controlled by the mainstream. They are so controlled by the corporate political agenda. And this just is another example of, do you guys remember when, I think it was Neil Young, keep on rocking in the free world. Remember yep. Neil Young, it was like two years ago, got all upset because Joe Rogan, who was hosted on Spotify as one of his platforms, was talking about the COVID vaccine. And he gave his opinion of things and gave his thoughts on things. And Neil Young decided, I am so against his freedom of speech. I'm going to pull my music from Spotify. It is so funny to me, though, Libby, because these are the people who are supposed to be anti-establishment. These are the people who are supposed to be like the rockers that we look to to like fight back against the man. They are in lockstep with yep. the man. It is amazing to see. I just, I don't know. I mean, one, it's hilarious that Lara Trump thinks that she can tell us what is, and like, she's the arbiter yeah. of what is and isn't. The daughter-in-law like, yeah. but, of a billionaire ex-president definitely knows what what's is punk. punk what is punk? <laughs> it's like, punk's not dead and because Lara man. Trump is still around. <laughs> It's just (laughs) such a gag. And I just don't understand how they are consistently surprised. I mean, these are not people. Green Day is not a band that you would have to ponder where they sit politically. (laughs) I mean, I don't know. They just, I think it's maybe just wishful thinking or I don't understand how they could be confused about any of these people. This yeah. this well, new yeah. outrage that we see every single time um, well, one of I these performers tells them to get rid of their music or whatever. It's just it's so confounding yeah. to me. Well, here, yeah, Elon Musk, as you mentioned, also got into this outrage, and he said on his tweet, "Green Day goes from raging against the machine to milk toastedly raging for it." Uh, wow. I mean, the layers to that, because they, again, Rage Against the Machine was another band that right-wingers apparently were surprised. And this is in recent, very recent years. Were surprised was where oh, they sat politically. It's like every few years, Kelly. 
Every few years, they have this with Rage Against the Machine. Oh, I didn't know this was a cyclical thing. I had only noticed it this time around. For them, it is, yeah. Like, how is it your surprise? (laughs) Did you listen the first time around? I mean, uh, yeah, just not the brightest bulbs in the arena. No, not at all. You'll see what I did there. I took the music. Yes, nice. (laughs) Nice. Actually, I'm, I'm looking up a quote here. That I'm going to read because you you gave me the good opportunity, but I gotta pull it up here. You're right; they're not the the brightest bulbs, and it's something that people on the left have to keep that in mind because John Stuart Mill, the 18th century liberal philosopher, he said something really profound on this point about stupidity and politics and ideologies. He was a member of parliament and somebody was angry at him one day because he said that the conservative party had stupid ideas. And here's what he said. He said, I never meant to say that the conservatives are generally stupid. I meant to say that stupid people are generally conservative. (laughs) Mm -hmm. And I believe that is so obviously and universally admitted a principle that I hardly think any gentleman will deny it. He goes on to say that any party that has nearly the whole of its stupidity that party must, by the law of its constitution, be the stupidest party. And that, that also ensures they're always being an extremely powerful party. That's what basically, I think that it's, <laughs> it's so yeah. perfect. It is so perfect. And you have to remember that. Like, that's why it's tiresome to explain yourself all the time. But people weren't paying attention or they didn't understand you. And so... It's frustrating, it's annoying, but hey, a lot of people are stupid. Or a lot of people are not paying attention. And so it's okay to be frustrated and annoyed with that fact, but just keep keep going. Keep checking. <laughs> yeah. yeah. All right, my friend. I'm going to read about horrible atrocities now for my book. Oh, well, that's it. Because that's what I... <laughs> yeah well we're gonna have to talk about your book also on the on the show here because we haven't yet yeah um but we'll do that Soon in enough. Another episode. yeah that's yeah. good all right Alrighty. take care see you later bye okay bye